This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's in the air to left field. Eloy drifting back. He is still going. Eloy is at the wall and it is gone. Sean Murphy takes it deep. He went away from the fastball, went to the cutter, and Murphy, who last year was awfully tough against the Sox in the playoffs, and Eloy crashed into the fence that again, is not good and news. he's hurt. And no, and you know, yeah, I just we've talked about it a lot uh, on balls that you can't get. Just pretty much, and it, it's easy to say and hard to do. Pretty much, let the ball go. You can take a jump, but banging into the wall like that. He comes away hurt, and this is something that um, we really can't have. Voices. Steve Stone, Jason Benetti. So you know what was going down there. Ah, it, just, it sent, I suppose, shockwaves, for lack of a better term, through everything that was being felt by White Sox fans. All that excitement, and then frankly, coming out of the uh, the Larusa high air, coming through the off season, and just seeing the guys were playing well, performing well, guys are getting healthy, they're doing different things with the lineup. You'd seen a couple of moments where it looked like Aloy Jimenez was like on the brink of an injury, like here he is running into a teammate, like he's colliding with Luis Robert again, like little moments like that where you're just kind of hoping, just just get through the spring without anything really bad happening, and then something bad happens and uh I, I the thing i don't necessarily get with is we've been discussing a you know, variety of topics uh on the show today we're at the half hour point here uh noon to four i am with you anthony heron here on the score but I, the thing that i don't quite understand the, the thing that i suppose I, I disagree with is the notion that just telling a kind of not to do anything makes sense like you know just don't either don't dive on the ground or don't go hard for the the ball into the wall that like i feel like that's the discussion that's that's begun here because we've so frequently seen aloy jimenez get injured and it's been in a variety of ways and and nearly be injured by just being sort of awkward and at times clumsy with things on the outfield or in the outfield and on the base paths and you know, it feels like the, the main spot where he is at his most athletic and most coordinated is in the batter's box, where he is just a freak of nature 
with the way he can hit the ball and his eye for things. But pretty much everywhere else, we, we've seen him in, in peril. We've seen him in jeopardy over and over again. And, you know, trying to field balls going down the third baseline over there, like falling into the netting over and over again. There's been all these different things. But I will say this, man, the play the other day, it's a fly ball. It's on the way over the fence. I, I really thought that that he he looked about as comfortable and coordinated as I'm accustomed to seeing Eloy Jimenez look. Like he, he didn't awkwardly leap into the wall and press his foot into it and injure his lower leg. He didn't run into it and collide with his shoulder, his head, because he had no idea the wall was there like like the warning track doesn't exist. He seemed to know that like where he was in relation to the wall. I thought he actually timed up his jump pretty well. But why on earth at 6'4", 240, is he trying to dangle from the fence like he's been Saturday in 2000? That's the part I don't get. So to me, it's not like the White Sox are at fault because for some reason they haven't told Eloy Jimenez to be motionless in left field. Like if, if you're willing to put him in left field, you have to allow him the potential to go make some plays there. Yes, he needs to know the dividing line for where that cutoff is at where it's no longer worth the effort, especially in spring training. But frankly, if he was just going to be full-on Manny Ramirez, my, my wife uh, my wife grew up in New England. She's a huge Red Sox fan. We watched a bunch of games with Manny Ramirez in left field just acting like he had no idea how to field a ball. Now, he mashed so much that it didn't matter, and they won a World Series with him out there between him and David Ortiz in the middle of that lineup. So if you want to tell me that Eloy Jimenez can figure out how to give you just enough Manny Ramirez, you know, where you, where you make all the basic plays, but then from there just keep yourself out of harm's way, then I suppose there's some version of that that he can continue to just kind of work through. But, you know, I, I can see where because he's, you know, he has shown that he could maybe be in jeopardy, in peril so many other times before now that, maybe the White Sox should have just made the decision beforehand that he's just not going to be their left fielder. You need a designated hitter anyway. So I, I, can, I can hear the case that they should have just put him at DH and figured out something else in left field before this moment. But he wants to be out there. He, and he's been working at it. Like he's getting, he, I think even the injury the other day was an example of Eloy Jimenez getting better in left field. He knew where the warning track was. He felt that coming up. He knew where the wall was. He reaches his right hand out in feeling the wall before he times up his jump adequately. He made the boneheaded decision that a man of his size, a young man of his size, was going to just kind of dangle from the wall once his left arm went over. And I don't think he planned that out. You know, it's obviously just a split-second reaction to the moment. But that's where Eloy has to know better than that. I don't have an issue with him going to try and play the ball. I don't have an issue with him jumping into the air. Like if a professional athlete isn't allowed to jump in the air when nobody else is coming to try to cut him in half, like some kind of like Jack Tatum is coming across the middle or something, then I don't take issue with him going to track the ball and attempt to play it in flight. He's, he's got to know that after you've made that decision, to just land safely because you were doing no one any good by dangling from the wall with your left arm. I, I thought everything he did up to that point was well executed. Since the track dirt, 
felt that coming, you know, whether it's the feeling on your cleats or whatever it is or the sound of it, all those things. Got there, good position, extends his right arm to feel the wall, times up the jump. I just – I don't necessarily – you know, sound with the clip that was played during the break. You know, sound like Layla with uh, Layla and Dan maybe had a little bit of heat for him. Certainly sounded like Layla did. Like that to me, if that's where she went, because obviously Layla knows the Sox really well from having covered the team closely. That to me is on Eloy as well. So I, I don't think we should just absolve Eloy Jimenez of any of this blame here because the Sox have been trying to work with him in improving his skills as an outfielder and it is beneficial to the to the ball club if they don't have to take him off the field in the late innings for some other defensive replacement. But if you're going to at least make him the DH and then just spot play him in left field, that's obviously a discussion that has to happen at this point because we have so frequently seen him where it seems like teammates from center field are trying to call him off of balls and he just seems to have no awareness of that. He runs into guys in left field or he runs in to the netting down the third base line or he does the A-town stomp on home plate and, and hurts his foot right before the start of the playoffs last year. And so you don't have one of your biggest bats in the middle of the lineup for your first couple of playoff games last season. I mean, you look at that and say, okay, he's, he's that, that awkward on the, on the base pass that he injures his right foot and has to miss the first couple of playoff games, and now Ricky Renneria doesn't have a job. Like, if Aloy's there and they beat Oakland, does Ricky Renneria still have a job? I think there's a strong case to be made that he probably does. With all the other silly things that that Ricky did with the lineup and with pitching and everything else, he might still have a job if Aloy wouldn't have gotten hurt and hurt himself, essentially, in doing that. So Aloy still comes off rather clumsy in a few different areas on the field, and doesn't have the type of awareness you would like. So for the Sox, if they're going to make a command decision, it's not one that's worth making or announcing right now because they want Aloy to focus on getting as healthy as he can. They need to want Aloy to focus on getting back as quickly as possible to 100%. So if you're in a position where he's ready in September and October, fingers crossed, and you're doing something, and he can add to your lineup in that Schwarber-esque sort of manner, then yeah, you, you need to you want that possibility to be open. You want that door to be ajar. So I don't think you tell Eloy any of that right now. But if you do say, because he's still young, whatever he is, 24, and you're thinking, you know what? We still want to give him that chance to continue working on his skills and improve there and be the well-rounded baseball player that he tells us he wants to be, and he's working his tail off at it, and he's still super young. Maybe he's going to get better at it. So if you're going to leave that open, then it's, it's on you at that point as well. Eloy, if you're going to force the team's hand to leave you out there, you have got to get better at it. You have got to have that sense out there for where you are and what's worth the risk, like jumping. I don't have an issue with him jumping, but you don't dangle from the wall at 240 pounds and leave your peck on the warning track because now you're gone for half the year. That's where I sit with things. I would love to talk to our guy, which we will do in just one moment. We're going to talk to Scott Merkin. So take a time out, come back, keep this White Sox discussion going here. Just want to let you guys know where I stood as it relates to Eloy Jimenez right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, what I said at the time, so this isn't you know, a Monday morning quarterback situation, but I said it was a very dumb play. Uh, number one, it's spring training. Number two, you got about a week to go before the season starts. Number three, he missed the ball by 15 feet. And so the one thing that Eloy hasn't learned yet, and he's learned a lot, but the one thing he hasn't learned is, he can't possibly help this team unless he's in the lineup. And so you have to learn to protect yourself. That's the voice of Stoney himself, Steve Stone, talking about his reaction both in the moment and then being removed from the moment of Aloy Jimenez rupturing his pectoral muscle and having to miss the next five to six months of baseball for the South Sider. So certainly not a position that anyone would like to be in. And 312, out on the text line, 312 says, take a Lord's glove away, sell it on eBay, <laughs> get him the hell out of the outfield. He had no shot of catching the ball, cleared the fence 10 feet beyond his reach. So, hey, I, I, got, I got no gripe with that, with the take his glove away part. I, I can't presume that, that a professional athlete isn't allowed to jump into the air or he's going to get hurt. That that's where that's where I stop a little bit short of that. Like, I don't I don't think the issue is there is that he's anywhere near the ball. There are a lot of other areas of his judgment that I do take issue with 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 where Eloy is at on the field. I mean, we've just seen it so frequently here over his his rather brief brief and and stellar time where he's healthy and on the field has been brief and stellar. For the Sox, but it's come up so frequently. There's a what on ontapsportsnet.com is actually a website I was checking out the other day and just listing and actually went through and had some of the various tweets of some of the, the moments where Eloy hurt himself. And uh, several of them were him running down the the third baseline and and tumbling into the net like a trapeze act gone wrong and you know there's a uh, one moment where he's running towards the outfield and he's trying to track the ball and he apparently has very little idea where he's at in relation to the wall and he crane kicks the wall and injures his leg I'm sure you all remember that one and then of course there have been several examples of him having little awareness having earmuffs on or something where he has collided with center fielders over and over again and even had one with with Luis Robert during spring training this year so it's more than enough examples of of where and how Eloy can improve his awareness and frankly his coordination in some of these moments I do think there are signs 
that it has that those things have been improving. Unfortunately, it has now come at the cost of the next five to six months. We do have our guy Scott Merkin on the line right now of MLB.com. Of course, a White Sox beat writer and the score hotline is presented by Alpermonte Ford. Alpermonte Ford in Melrose Park on North Ave or at APFord.com. You can certainly find him on Twitter at Scott Merkin with all his writings and musings. Scott, how are you doing this afternoon? Good. How are you doing, Anthony? I am outstanding. I'm just, uh, I, I, did, I, I did start to get, I'd had a very hopeful, very positive show going for the first couple hours, and I started to talk about Eloy Jimenez, and I do feel my dander getting up about it a little bit because I don't think the Sox are blameless because of the discussion about whether or not they should take Eloy's glove away has been going on for a while now as he's been crane-kicking outfield walls. But then also Eloy himself needs to take a good share of the blame here too. Not, not to me for being willing to go and leap near the wall, but it's a very silly decision to hang from the wall with your left arm when you're 240 pounds and put yourself at risk there. So if I just start off with who, who, who shares more of the blame for where Eloy is at right now? Is it the ball club or is it Jimenez himself? Well, see, I think, I think that's the weird thing is I think he really has improved. You know, you talk to guys yeah. like uh, Daryl Boston who have worked with him and all that. I think it's just some of the things that happened with him because he's just, you know, gigantic presence. He's 6'4", 240 pounds. They stand out more than the, you know, gradual improvement that he's made. You know, when he goes running for Christian Yelich's fly ball on the left field line last year and misses it and then falls into the net. Everyone remembers that as opposed to making a good throw, getting the ball out quicker, you know, making his reads better coming in and that kind of thing. Or when you see him, you know, I mean, the the, the first injury he had when he ran into the wall, that was pretty much the beginning of his left field play. But I, I do think he's gotten better. I, I think, you know, in, in, a, in a good part of it, Rick Hahn was right and that he was trying to make a play. The question is, you know, you can tell guys all you want. Hey, it's Cactus League, and no one ever got to the Hall of Fame by being a good Cactus League player or having making a spectacular catch in Cactus League. But as you know, you know, being one yourself, these are exceptional professional athletes, and it's probably a little hard to just in the moment to turn it off and just say, "I'm not going to jump on this." Or you know, okay, so he shouldn't have hung on the wall. But I mean, that happens in the course of the play. So again, I think it's not really blame so much in that he really has improved, but just these these issues that pop up become kind of standard issues. And the, and the other part of it is, you know, they're a better team overall with him in left field because they already have, you know, Jose Abreu at first, Andrew Vaughn is either first or DH. Yasmani Grandal when he's not catching is DH. So you can't have a team of four or five DHs, you know? So that's why they needed him to at least be serviceable in left field because you have arguably one of the better defensive center fielders in the American league and Luis Robert next to him. And I, I, I definitely want to get to Andrew Vaughn in a moment. I'm glad you mentioned his name as you've been tweeting about him for a couple of days now as he's been getting work in left field here. Before we, we go the Vaughn direction, I'm curious for – because – and I'm, I'm not even completely clear where the, the, the decision-making in it really lies because we've heard public comments, read public comments from Eloy Jimenez over the past year, let's call it, about – his desire to stay in left field, his hunger right. to improve at it. Do you get the sense that that the Sox would have perhaps, I don't let's use the term, taken his glove away if he wasn't so hungry to be out there? Uh, I think if they had someone who didn't care, you know, who said, I don't care if I play defense and I just want to swing the bat, that would be a different issue. But I think that's very rare. And again, you know, overall – from the players I've talked to over the years, no one really wants to be designated hitter. There are very few 
you know, who desire to be that. You know, Adam Dunn was one of the best guys I've covered, just a, a great baseball mind, really good clubhouse guy, really good guy overall. And just ne- he told me a couple of times, just never could figure out a set routine when he came over from playing, you know, what first base and some left field in the National League. And he by no means, I don't think he would say it, was, you know, going to remind people of Ichiro playing the outfield. But he said he just never, you know, it, it, it's it's fewer and far between when you get a guy like a Jim Tomey who's figured out or Harold Baines who did it well or Edgar Martinez who did it great. You know, they had a guy last year, which I thought was a great move in Edwin Encarnacion, who was a guy who had been DH for a long time, even though he had played sporadically at first base. And that just didn't work out last year. So you, you, you can't say anything for sure. But if you're asking, you know, I, I don't think it's like, the kids calling the shot in the family type of thing. I don't think they said, you know, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf and everyone else in the front office came in this year and said, we need to have a lawyer's DH. And, and they said, oh, no, we can't because he said no. You know, ultimately the team runs the show. And like I said, they have a number of guys who can slide capably into that DH role right now. So you need Eloy to be a left fielder, at least at this point. You know, I mean, Jose has got two more years in his contract. Who knows how long he's going to play after that. Or if it'll be in Chicago, I would think it would be in Chicago if he continues producing and wants to stay. But as I said, he's Aloy, believe it or not, has gotten better. It's just issues like that that give kind of hue and cry to say, oh, he's an awful left fielder and he needs to you know, not play the field anymore. But don't get me wrong. that What happened to him going for the Sean Murphy home run, it's a huge issue. You know, you lose, you know, maybe one of the, you know, a, a guy who a lot of pundits like myself, a lot of prognosticators were picking as the home run champion in the American League this year. So that is a, no matter what you have, whether Zach Collins breaks out this year, or Andrew Vaughn is as good as everyone thinks. Losing Aloy Jimenez, even with a great lineup like the White Sox has, have is significant. No question about it. Yeah, and I I definitely agree. I was talking about it in the last segment. I mean, just in just in even evaluating the moment leading into the injury, so much about what we saw Aloy do looked more natural, more comfortable where he's, yes. you know, he, he yes. felt the warning track coming as opposed to diving into it like it didn't exist. And he reaches out, extends his right arm and feels that. He knew where the warning track was, even timed up his leap well, even though the ball went 10 foot over his head, like folks on the text line are pointing right. out, yes. But all those things just, just looked better and more natural and more fluid than other moments we've seen him have in the outfield. Unfortunately, it's a, still it's a great point. I mean, I, I think about that, and I'm not, you know, casting aspersions at Aloy, obviously. Another really good guy to deal with, and they'll miss that kind of upbeat personality, although there are a lot of upbeat personalities in that clubhouse. But think about if you go back and look at the video of him, I think it was a Grayson Griner home run for the Tigers, where he kind of ran, you know, head first into the wall, face body <laughs> right. first into the wall. And you can just, that's a really good point. You can see just the way he's making that play, how he has a better understanding of what he does and to do in left field. But again, a big man, and when you have something that's you know slightly off, it's going to show up a little bit more than you know someone who's not, you know, he, he's a good athlete, but someone who may be a little smoother in the field. How about that? I like it. I like it. That is a great way to put it, Scott Merkin of MLB.com and our friend here at 670 The Score. You mentioned the name Andrew Vaughn, and his name has been on beyond the tips of everyone's tongues for a while here, but it you know thrusts into the consciousness that much more with the injury to Eloy. Uh, so saw him in left field for a game. Going to see it again today. What have been your observations so far? You know, Andrew Vaughn is just from talking to him a little bit, very chill guy, you know, very laid back. And I think he's just taken in stride. I think if they said to him, you know, if you're Moncada, which they can't afford to have, if he were to be gone for a couple of weeks and they said, go play third, you know, he's 
he's worked there. Now, that's a little more difficult position, I think, but I think he'd be ready to do that, too. So I, I, I think, you know, I mean, we saw one game. He had one fly ball. I think he fielded three, uh, two doubles and a single. I think he picked up without a problem out there. I mean, you know, for a guy who's never played outfield, except like on an under-15 team, he told us, there are going to be times when he has issues out there. There's just no question about it. Even if he does say, you know, anything past this kind of line of demarcation is going to Luis Robert in left center, and I can just handle from left to the line, basically. You know there's going to be a learning process out there. But, again, I think, you know, they can get away with that, and especially if his bat is as good as it's supposed to be. Now, again, we don't know that with Andrew Vaughn. You hear about how polished he is, how his maturity is beyond his 22 years. But, you know, the fact remains, and you can say all you want about how he did great work in the um, alternate site last year, and that's tremendous. But the fact remains is the truth of the matter is he has not played above advanced Class A Winston-Salem, and he has 245 plate appearances in his career. So he may come out and hit 330 with 10 home runs in his first six weeks, or he may struggle. You just don't know. And I think that's the biggest issue with the White Sox, and it's a very small issue because they're so well put together as a team is kind of the unknown. You know, how will Vaughn respond once he gets his major league opportunity? Is Luis Robert more like the guy we saw in August last year when he was an MVP candidate or the guy who finished 11 for 81 in September? Yohan Moncada, you know, is he more like 19, you know, as opposed to the struggles he had last year, which, again, were COVID-based, and he looks Mm. tremendous so far. But, you know, that sort of thing. Just, you know, the what-ifs, but it's better than saying, man, they have like three spots where they're, you know, there's guys who just aren't going to cut it. So what do they do? I mean, they are a loaded team. There is no question. It's, it's a great roster from top to bottom. And Andrew Vaughn has a bunch of stands already for a guy who really hasn't, uh, hasn't played at the major league level. And one of the things I frequently It's the time of the seen... prospects. But I mean, there's never in my life, not even just covering <laughs> baseball, but just, just you know, as, as a baseball fan, been such a focus. I mean, I guess it's been like maybe since, the Royals started their rebuild and won a World Series. The right. Cubs did their rebuild and won the World Series. It's probably been the last six years. Where, and, and, you know, I give credit to Baseball America and yeah. our MLB pipeline. And Future Sox does a tremendous job covering the prospects. But there really is more information about prospects than ever before in, you know, in, in, in baseball itself. And with that, Andrew Vaughn, one of the things I've seen folks pointing out a lot is is like you you kind of briefly referenced there that, yeah, okay, he played Class A ball, but he's played internationally and had this other stint, you know, somewhere playing above that against major league competition. Like, how, how much does any of the rest of that really matter? Yeah, I think really ultimately, you know, we can handicap how I want everything, but nothing matters. And you know this, nothing matters until he gets out there, right? I mean, he may get out there. And this may just be the smoothest transition ever. Like everyone said, you know, he's got a great eye at the plate. He's got a polished approach. He, he's, you know, he, he told me, I talked to him earlier in camp one-on-one. He told me that he had, I don't know if necessarily lost some weight, but kind of changed his body a little bit to kind of help him go through the rigors of 162 games. So, I mean, we won't know. I mean, you can predict all you want. You can say that, you know, that they were really pleased with what he did in Schaumburg and they were going to call him up last year. But the fact is, he didn't get called up. So he, did, he has not played Major League Baseball. And there's a difference. You know, I even talked to guys like Garrett Crochet and Cody Hoyer. Garrett Crochet had a smaller sample size than Hoyer. But they talked about just being around, you know, the travel and being around the team and being around the new ballparks helped them going into this year. So that's all adjustments Andrew Vaughn has to make, too. He's got great guys on that team to kind of lead him. You know, Jose Abreu. Tim Anderson, you know, not position players, but Giolito, Keiko, Grandal. So he'll be fine. You know, Tony La Russa, the, the whole coaching staff, 
but you don't know. You can predict all you want, but you don't know until you actually see it, basically. So, I mean, you know, I, I think it's pointing that he should be a success. He should be outstanding, but we won't know until we see him out there, really. Uh, Michael Kopech it was, you know, just obviously, as you know, well, a couple of years back, it was he, he was the most exciting prospect that we've seen in recent memory in Chicago baseball and triple digits with the fastball and everything else. And now, as they ease him back in after multiple seasons away, it, it feels like the expectations are far more muted. I, I think that's probably a good thing for Michael Kopech, but is there anything that that shouldn't still have, I don't know, myself or, or others still extremely excited about the future prospects as they, they start him in the pen, but still, from my understanding, have the plans on moving him back into the starting rotation at some point? Yeah, I think it's the best of both worlds. You know, they're looking for – you know, you can only win – that's why I argue people about saying, well, you got to have control of this guy in six years down the line. I mean, the last team to repeat in the American League World Series champions is the Yankees. It was in 1999-2000. The last National League team, if you don't count the Giants, three World Series in like six or seven years, to repeat was the Big Red Machine. So it's all great and good to say we're going to win multiple championships, but the fact remains is that's really become almost impossible. So worry about what you can win this year. And they have a viable, without a doubt, chance to win a World Series this year. Now, will they? I don't know. The Dodgers are incredible. You know, I think the Minnesota Twins are a very good baseball team. The Yankees are a very good baseball team. So nothing's promised to them. But, you know, having Kopech in the bullpen this year helps them be a better team this year while also, you know, working with Ethan Katz, working under Tony LaRusso, working with guys like Lucas Giolito and Keuchel and kind of learning his craft a little more. You know, he's only pitched, what, four games in the major leagues, so this will give him a start to maybe, you know, where next year he is part of that rotation, and they can use him extended innings to kind of get up to that speed. And he may actually get some starts this year, not even just in, you know, those double the seven-inning doubleheaders, but just in other games. So, you know, I, I think you got that's the biggest thing for me is, even in the, the age of rebuilds, focus on what you can win. If you realistically can win in year 2021, you don't have to be ridiculous about it, but, I mean, do all you can to put the best team on the field to win in 2021. I don't know that we saw Lucas Giolito's 2019 coming during that spring so much, but are, are there any signs that Dylan Cease could, could maybe have a, you know, some type of a, an emergence like we saw from Giolito a couple of seasons back? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, people talk about his stuff as being Cy Young caliber, and I think, you know, there's still been a couple starts this time around and it's spring training, so, you know, you probably don't get in as much danger with it where he's, you know, walked probably too many guys for his liking, and that's the biggest thing for him. I think he was one of the leaders in free passes during the 2020 season, so that's the biggest change he's looking to make. But, I mean, his stuff is is top-notch. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you can say, you know, because number one, I don't think, you know, Lucas had a really rough year in 2018 and now has become one of the best starters in baseball. I think Dylan's numbers were a little better, even to Dylan's credit, he said, you know, I talked to him in the offseason and he said this during, you know, spring training that he was not happy with what he did last year. So there's that desire to get better and the talent. And I think if you match that together, yeah, you could have another. And remember, he's being counted as kind of their fourth starter right now. So you have, you know, a guy who could step up and be more of a number one or number two. Before we let you go, Scott, I'm curious. There's a story that just began getting some traction late in the week last week about you know, Major League Baseball and the All-Star Game being in the state of Georgia. And there will come a point here where, you know, as that approaches, if the MLBPA decides that, that they do want to try to urge 
uh, Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game elsewhere where you and others will have to ask the Chicago athletes about it. Are you getting much? Is there much chatter about it yet? Does it seem like something that's picking up much steam anytime soon? No, I mean, to be honest, I haven't heard much chatter at all on that. But I think, you know, right now that may come, you know, whatever the decision is there may come more after kind of rosters are set and the season has begun. But personally, I have not heard a ton of chatter about one, one direction or the other about that. But again, still, you know, a topic that can be broached at any time in the near future. Right. All right, cool. Just wanted to get your sense for where that sits because I know you are there with your finger on the pulse as always. Outstanding stuff. Really appreciate your time, Scott. We'll do it again soon. Okay, thanks, Anthony. Take care. That is the Scott Merkin, MLB.com, White Sox beat writer on Twitter, at Scott Merkin. And uh, some of you may not be aware of, of the particular story that I'm referencing there, so I do want to give you a little background, a little detail on it because, like, Dave Roberts, Roberts the – World Series champion manager from the Dodgers, a black man. He said that he may not participate in the All-Star game. Of course, he's a defending World Series champion. He's supposed to be one of the managers. He may step away if the game's going to take place in Georgia. So I want to set that scene for you and just kind of let you know what's taking place because at some point this will be a growing story that's going to make bigger headlines than it is right now in its infancy. So I'll I'll sort of lay that out for you on the other side of this timeout. I'm Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. That's right, Sean Anderson. Like where your head's at. Welcome to Atlanta. uh, It's not the epicenter of the baseball universe yet, but that would be the plan this summer as the MLB All-Star Game is right now scheduled to be in Atlanta where the baseball team there makes its home. But there were some rumblings right at the end of the week and the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, Tony Clark, actually even said that uh, his union members are willing to consider moving the 2021 All-Star Game out of Atlanta because of some legislation that got passed by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, which greatly, which significantly restricts voting rights for folks in that state. A quote from Clark, who he said to the Boston Globe, players are very much aware as it relates to the All-Star game. We've not had a conversation with the league on that issue. If there's an opportunity to, we would look forward to having that conversation. And you know, obviously th- this is on the heels of a lot of things that took place throughout 2020 that, that brought the, the consciousness of a lot of folks to the forefront on on issues of race, issues of voting rights, and how the the platform that athletes have that, you know, in certain sports were perhaps more willing to utilize that platform and have the backing of their leagues in doing it. And, and 2020 was sort of a line of demarcation for a lot of those things. And like I've talked to, you know, a variety of my, my friends and, and, you know, some of the, the hosts from the day parts during the week on different shows during the score all throughout last year where that seemed to be sort of a a definitive dividing line in the way that many of us are willing to and wanting to discuss things outside what's sort of traditionally the sports spectrum. And frankly, because so many athletes are more and more willing to have those discussions and it's just, it's, it's impossible to ignore. And this story hasn't gotten a lot of national traction yet as it just really began circulating at the end of the week and and essentially 
you know, and like I referenced even uh, b- before we went to break in the previous segment, there were Dave Roberts, who would be one of the guys who's supposed to be a manager in this coming All-Star game as the reigning World Series champ. He said that he would consider not participating in the All-Star game if it still is in Atlanta, in the state of Georgia. And really kind of what it comes down to is essentially the, this this these rules, these restrictions that were passed by Brian Kemp basically because there was so much mail-in voting that that took place in the last election, the state of Georgia, led by Governor Brian Kemp, has essentially put these restrictions in place, saying that it is to try and make sure that, you know, that there aren't there aren't going to be any any folks voting illegally, essentially is what that comes down to, as though mail-in voting is somehow this this sort of fresh new thing that a folks a lot of folks used to game the system as though Colorado hasn't had mail-in voting for years. Oregon has had mail-in voting for years. Utah, Washington, Hawaii. There's a lot of states that have been dealing almost exclusively in mail-in voting for a number of years now, but there weren't complaints about those states last election cycle. There weren't complaints about some of those major metropolitan hubs in the last election cycle. The complaints were about Atlanta and Philadelphia and Detroit and I think we can all tell demographically what's similar with those cities, those regions, those areas. There's a lot of black voters there. So, you know, we haven't heard a bunch of issues with folks complaining about anything with Colorado's rules or Oregon's rules or Utah's rules or Washington's rules. But suddenly it, it has become an issue in some of the voting hotbeds where a lot of minorities uh, and, and folks from minority demographics have begun to sort of exercise their voting power. And, uh, you know, a couple of the things that like the, the claims of election fraud, where obviously those were rebuffed pretty roundly um, by every court under the sun, essentially, including the Supreme Court. But Georgia's kind of taken matters into their own hands along those lines. And, and one thing where I was asking our guy Scott Merkin about it, when we had him on in the previous segment, if it was gaining any traction yet, because it, it eventually will. And it's understandable that in spring training where rosters haven't been finalized yet and there's just other concerns that are there from a baseball perspective. But once athletes, once these players return to their cities and at whatever point something, especially once something more official maybe begins to take place where Tony Clark and the MLBPA do perhaps make a a more official request to Major League Baseball about the game being moved, then I, I think certainly it'll begin getting national steam there. But story I'm aware of. It's a story that's out there, so I don't see any reason in in not at least uh, discussing it, addressing it now. From my perspective locally, here's one thing that that I would certainly, I I guess, like to urge my friends in the Chicago media who, once this story does get more traction, will certainly be in a position to begin asking players and coaches about it. And because it's an issue that deals with voter rights, and then the perception of that is essentially that so this this is an issue that that affects black people as much as anything, especially in the state of Georgia, in the city of Atlanta. And so Tim Anderson and Jason Hayward are going to be two of the first guys who get asked about it from a baseball perspective here in this town. And, you know, Tim Anderson still playing at a, you know, playing at an all star level. Who knows? You know, Jason Hayward, maybe he'll be playing at an all star level this coming season. And I, I think certainly no issue with Anderson and Hayward being guys who are willing to share their opinions on a number of issues. Yes, I understand why there would be the most desire to hear from them, from basically the two black baseball stars in town, 
why we want to ask them, why we want to hear from them. What I would urge my friends in the Chicago media, when this becomes more more of a prominent topic, once these discussions are beginning and it and it seems fitting to start asking those questions as it at, at whatever point it becomes a reality, if the MLBPA really does attempt to move the game, don't just ask Tim Anderson and Jason Hayward about it. A- ask their teammates about it too. And don't just ask the brown skin teammates about it. Because <laughs> there's their white teammates are are quite possibly more aware of, more familiar with, and perhaps in some ways even more affected by it than someone from Cuba or someone from the Dominican Republic. And you know, I think our, our media here in the city really does a, an effective job of 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 asking the right questions of you know of, of a variety of individuals. But that's that's one thing as you know, this will eventually become a story, it sounds like, from the statements that Tony Clark made. And Dave Roberts, who's usually a very thoughtful guy with his comments, the Dodgers manager, former you know, World Series champ with the Red Sox, as I'm sure you guys know, he's normally a very thoughtful guy with his answers. So I don't think he would necessarily say, and, and he wasn't, he even said, I'm not deeply informed on all of the particulars of the issue yet. But yes, I would, I would certainly consider not participating in the All-Star game you know, if, if it's in the state of Georgia, just based off what he was hearing in the early stages of things here. And yeah, I, I would like to hear not only from Jason Hayward and Tim Anderson, but get Anthony Rizzo on the record, get Chris Bryant on the record, get Lucas Giolito on the record. There's a lot of other guys who, you know, this isn't an issue that I think it tends to turn into when, when there's an issue that comes up and it's something that perhaps folks aren't accustomed to asking about or aren't always comfortable with. And it's like, hey, black folks, what you going to do? And then the, the cameras go to those individuals, and I think that's fine. But Tim Anderson and Jason Hayward don't need to be the only spokesmen for who this issue matters to. Like I was talking about very early in the show, I brought it up again with having Caitlin Sharkey on the line. Like For me, the as passionate as I may be about issues affecting equality in sports with women, it's not just because my wife was an all-American college athlete. It's not because I've got friends in, in the industry who are female. Just to me, it's just a, about treating humans in an equitable manner. And that, to me, is what this same thing with, with these restrictive voting laws that Georgia just passed, to me, it should be the same type of thing. And it doesn't mean everyone has to feel exactly the same about it, but I would urge my friends in the Chicago media, don't only get the black guys on the record about it because I am curious how other individuals will feel about it as well. And like the requiring a driver's license or a state ID where there's about 200 people. And I've got friends and family, very close family in Georgia. I lived in Georgia myself for a couple of years. Still got plenty of friends and family living down there right now. About 200,000 people in the state of Georgia who don't have a driver's license or a state ID. Those things cost money to get, cost money to get yourself to those locations that you need to be able to get them. And frankly, there's just a lot of people who live a lifestyle in certain environments where it's not necessary for them to function in having a driver's license or a state ID. And frankly, the funds that it would cost to get them just aren't worthy of it for their day-to-day existence. So that to me is, and of course, out of those 200,000 Georgians, the majority of them are African-Americans. So this disproportionately affects black people by passing a law that says you have to have a driver's license or a state ID also made it a crime 
if you're not actually a voter in line to bring drinks and snacks to people waiting in long voting lines. If any of you were paying attention during the last election cycle, who are the majority of people who are forced in regions all around the country to wait in long lines while voting? Black people are the ones who that happens with. So yes, this is certainly an issue that, that perhaps will, will carry more importance to the black community. But again, I would just urge and remind my friends in the Chicago media, once this does pick up steam, which it hasn't yet, but I'm here on the air and it's a story that, that's out there that will pick up steam. So I just want for anyone who's listening to recognize once this does pick up steam, I want to hear from Tim Anderson about it. But I also want to hear from Tim Anderson's teammates about it, too. I want to hear from Jason Hayward about it, but I also want to hear from Jason Hayward's teammates about it, too. I certainly want to hear from their managers about it as well. I want to hear what Dave Ross has to say about it. I want to hear what Tony La Russa has to say about it. I mean, we know the Tony La Russa discussion, a part of it as he got hired, was whether or not the, the old-school baseball coach and a man of his age and his demeanor would mesh well with the, the younger, talented and, and personality-driven individuals who are there within that clubhouse for the White Sox, this will, will be probably even earlier than a lot of us would have anticipated a fairly stark demarcation of how that type of discussion may have to take place internally with the White Sox. So we'll see how big of a, of a story it becomes, but it will certainly be a story that picks up steam, in my estimation, based off of what MLBPA executive Tony Clark had to say about it to the Boston Globe and to other uh, publications out there. So once it does, get a wide swath of folks on the record. I'm sure there will be some folks who have very thoughtful opinions on them. Don't just let it be the two black baseball stars in Chicago. That would be my main, uh, my main request to my friends in the Chicago media when these things are coming up because it's, you know, it, it's cool when you see folks doing the cha-cha slide in the line and all that, and you're like, hey, here we go. This is our modern We Shall Overcome but it shouldn't have to be like that. And that is apparently the direction that, that Georgia is trying to take things to make things, to make it more difficult for people to go through the voting process, more uncomfortable for people to participate in their right to vote. So I don't think that's anything that, certainly not something I, just Anthony Heron's opinion, would want to be on board with. And we'll see where Major League Baseball and the, and the rest of the folks who will begin answering these questions end up going with it. I just wanted to, to lay a little context for that out there because this will be something that gets a little more steam as we move forward here. I'm going to criminalize it for people to bring folks water in line. It's a fairly, fairly silly thing but that, uh, that has legit consequences in more than one way. But we spent most of the hour talking White Sox here. I got one hour to go. And we're going to spend it talking a lot of bulls. And one of our favorites, one of the guys, one of the individuals, one of the young men who worked on the Lawrence Holmes show is now, I'm going to call him a rising media sensation. Over at NBC Sports Chicago, Tony Gill will be with us at the top of this final hour that I'm with you. We're going to talk a lot of bulls. We're going to talk some other things with Tony as well. Who's the team he's most hopeful about in the city right now? I guess I know what his answer as far as his paychecks is maybe supposed to be. But I want to know where Tony sits with that and other items here. So we'll do that on the other side of this timeout. I'm Anthony Heron. This is The Score. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.